Hi, and welcome to The Intersect. I'm Eric Tischler. Apt Associates tackles complex challenges around the world, ranging from improving health and education to assessing the impact of environmental changes. For any given problem, we bring multiple perspectives to the table. We thought it would be enlightening and maybe even fun to pair up colleagues from different disciplines so they can share their ideas and perhaps spark new thinking about how we solve these challenges. Today, I'm joined by two of those colleagues, Tara Reed and Megan Henry. Tara has over 15 years of experience as a leader in the fields of homelessness and behavioral health. She was recently named vice president of App's equity team, which promotes equity in client programs and outcomes. Megan is a social policy researcher with over 15 years of experience in public policy research and program evaluation. She leads App's work on HUD's annual report to Congress on homelessness. Welcome. Thank you, Eric. Let's start with some data. While incremental gains are being made in the efforts to reduce homelessness, vast inequities in representation by race persist. For example, 12% of all U.S. heads of households identify as black, but people identifying as black accounted for 40% of households experiencing sheltered homelessness. Now, these numbers are shocking, but sadly not surprising, and they just represent one facet of a systemic problem that APT is trying to address holistically across sectors. We're going to look a little more closely at those numbers, but first, Tara, as our VP of Equity, what what do we mean when we say we're going to lead with equity and what's our framework for implementing equity in our work? Thank you for asking, Eric. A few years ago, two F staff, so Chloe Green and, and Brooke Abrams, put together what we call our racial equity standardization framework. And the framework is our attempt to, to truly define and operationalize what it means to lead with equity. And this framework has six principles, uh, which think of it as principles or steps uh, that truly helps to guide the work. It involves co-creation, and power sharing. See where are all the places within the system that we need to act to ensure that the voices of those most impacted are truly heard at the table for the full life cycle with full decision making and power and authority, helping us to create, craft, and maintain sustainable solutions. So part of our work is also looking to see not just how do we kind of create a quick band-aid fix, but how do we ultimately create new structures? How do we tear down the oppressive structures that exist to create sustainable futures for all, to ultimately not just address disparities, but eliminate them in our systems, both moving backwards, but then also forwards. And so that is also a, a critical step, ensuring that we understand the significance of our work and what we're moving for, ensuring that as we identify additional barriers, as we navigate our process and our initial solutioning, that we're always trying to refine, pivot, and continue moving forward. Last but not least, the final step is creating a culture of accountability and sustainability. So ensuring that what we're doing is truly in service of equity and social justice. Are we truly helping those that we are ultimately tasked um, to support? Are we helping the communities most impacted? And then as we truly start to move in that direction, ensuring that we are not just focusing on our intent, what we want to do, but we're focusing on are we truly achieving the impact that is needed for true success to eliminate the disparities. Great. Thank you. Megan, I want to move to you. You know, we've been working on AHAR for several years, uh, more, more than 10, I think. And certainly since I've been at APT in the last few years, um, equity is something that's really been important in your analysis of the work um, as we've discussed it. How is this uh, latest iteration of AHAR uh, reflective of the uh, racial equity standardization framework that Tara just described? Yeah, that's right. We've been working on this report for just a really, it's been 15 years, over 15 years now. Um, and just as a little bit of background, it's a two, it's a two part report that it provides information to 
you know, the target is Congress, um, but also to researchers, communities, practitioners, and many other people who about the extent and nature of homelessness in this country. And every year in the last 15 years, we, we have identified in that report um, that Black, Indigenous, and people of color are overrepresented among the homeless population. And in recent years, um, we really have pivoted in not just acknowledging that these over that these disproportionalities exist, but emphasizing them and um, explicitly calling out the role of stru structural racism um, across federal, state, and local programs that have both sort of historically and currently allowed these inequities to persist. And so, in more recent years, in terms of the content of the report. Um, APT and other partners have been really um, pushing for centering this, um, the existence of these disproportionalities in the report itself. Um, because again, as Tara mentioned, like as long, this is just information that we can provide to create those dismantlings of systems, those real action, the real change. And as long as they have the right change with the right emphases behind them, then those changes really can occur. Um, the other you know, role that we've played in sort of centering equity in our own work is by the inclusion of people with lived expertise and experience in um, the production of the report. So, you know, this has not been something that we have done. So in the 15 years or more um, that we have, 16 years, that we have produced this report, there's been only two years that we've included any voice of people with lived expertise, at least deliberately. There, you know, we, we have no idea beforehand that has been sort of accidentally included, but um, deliberately in the last two years, we have included the, the voice of lived expertise. And um, in 2021, the role really was limited to the review of the core chapters of the report. And really this provided invaluable feedback that resulted in incredible improvements in how both we present the data in the report and how we interpret those data. Um, understanding that we, I think we all understood as we were working with this group, and collaborating with this group on the review of the report, that it was too late, that this was a step too late. And so um, the following year, we worked really hard and to push their involvement earlier. So the following year, we had them collaborate with us on determining which data to include in the report. So before we even started writing, we looked at the data tables, we decided which um, tables made sense to include moving forward. Um, and what we really hope is that that keeps moving forward. You know, we, we all are sort of limited by timelines and constraints. And I think when it comes to sort of being equity minded and sort of promoting co-creation, we do have to challenge some of these um, external forces that sort of in our work force us to make decisions between um, doing what's right and doing something on time sometimes or doing something that meets a sort of external deadline. And so we're really working toward a co-creation model for this report. And so we're hoping in years to come that um, not only are they helping us understand and decide which data are best to include, but they're the ones that are helping us create this report. And you know, one you know one way we're including um, the voices of people with lived expertise earlier than even the report process is in the coming year um, we're working with this group to review the tools that communities use to collect the data on people experiencing homelessness. So that step is really sort of the rain at the top of the mountain that eventually empties out into the sea. So that's sort of the earliest point at which, you know, we can include any perspective. And so this is that is really the point that we're moving towards sort of like from the top of the mountain to the sea, sort of having that voice be heard across the entire spectrum of the AHAR. 
Thank you. That's a lovely metaphor there. <laughs> Go ahead, Tara, please. I also just want to add one of the things I've been fortunate to be a part of this process is to truly see the actual shifting of power and that individuals with lived experience, lived expertise truly have shared decision-making power at every stage of the process. And their inclusion also, from my experience, from my conversations, feels truly valued in the sense and also that they're fully compensated um, at the table. They are fully valued compensated consultant partners at the table as well, which I think speaks to their experience and the expertise that they're ultimately bringing to all the discussions and conversations as well. That's great. You know, I was going to ask, uh, I want to, I want to dig into that a bit more about how, how we move that forward. Megan, um, you know, what were some of the benefits you saw in terms of the data of, of, you know, having people who've just been underrepresented now involved, you know, in terms of, uh, knowledge gained, what, what, are some examples you might provide? The one sort of obvious thing that would be reflected and that would be discernible to most people is really the language. I mean, I think that um, as researchers, we get stuck in our use of language and our use of very specific language, um, and that can be harmful. And some of the language that we use, we don't understand to be harmful, but it but it is. And so that was what the one major thing, particularly in the first year, that really pushed us not just to have person-centered language, which you know we've been doing across you know, a number of projects for, for a long time, but really thinking through the way that we present the data. Um, the, so we would, for example, we would, we would list our racial categories with white first. Um, and this has been a historic sort of way to present data that it's, but it's based in white dominant culture. And so we changed the order to be alphabetical, which is very intuitive. Um, so these are, they're very simple things at times. And then some of the feedback we received is, you know, it was sort of challenging some of the assumptions that we as researchers would make as to potential causes, as to, um, you know, potential outcomes. And it, it really has made us take a step back, think through and be more thoughtful about everything that we say in that report, regardless of whether it's sort of a data point report or not, to be really thoughtful and intentional about what is both necessary and beneficial to, to sort of emphasize. That's, that's great. Um, so Tara, you, you know, you're uh, helping to run the team that is operationalizing these concepts with all of our clients and partners, right? So, you know, uh, when you hear this example, uh, and you, you you know you referenced your firsthand experience uh, working uh, on AR with Megan or, or um, having insight into that process. You know how are we, how are we carrying the ball forward across you know across all of our work? I think that's a great question, and I think it's in a few different ways. So I think it's one really continuing to value, prioritize, and just create and sustain diverse teams. And so when I think of diversity, once again, race and ethnicity, gender, gender identity, ability, economic status and experience, and truly ensure that everyone at the table feels fully valued for everything that they bring to the table and that they're fully compensated as well. I think another piece, and I think Megan has done a fantastic uh, job kind of demonstrating what it looks like in practice is really kind of understanding that equity itself is a journey. And so as we learn more, as we encounter different doors, different barriers, it's about taking note of them and then taking action to move forward. It's hearing the voices of those most impacted, taking what they're saying and saying, how do we do better? 
and not just kind of getting stuck in the philosophical, but actually moving things into practice. Megan, as we, as we just heard, continued to move back up the mountain and said, we're going to go all the way to the top. We're going to go together and we're going to make this happen. And so it's continuing to say, we're going to do this and pulling everyone along. Really, this is, this is a new position for you. Um, are there other examples where we're sort of able to make some similar inroads? I think we do have a few different projects that I can think about in our portfolio of housing and homeless services. I believe that we have worked pretty closely in partnership with Veteran Affairs to incorporate the voices of veterans with lived experience and lived expertise as a part of their discussion, um, while also leading with equity. So the intentional disaggregation of data to better understand the differences and disparities in the system, ultimately with the goal of providing targeted solutions to help everyone achieve universal outcomes. Um, In our work with HUD, we have also worked very closely with them in our youth homelessness demonstration project, which speaks to ensuring that the voices of youth and young adults are at the table, once again, with full decision-making power, full authority for the entire life cycle to define a system that works to meet their needs. And I think that for me is is definitely another clear example. Um, Sorry, now I'm thinking of all these different examples. Uh, We also have through HUD as well, we have an equity demonstration project. And the entire premise of the equity demonstration project is working with communities to better engage, incorporate, and fully value the experiences and voices of individuals with lived experience and expertise to design their homelessness response system with every single aspect from their data collection to data interpretation to their ultimate evaluation of their system. And I would add that um, we have a very, like not a very big project and it's not funded by by the federal government, but a project in LA that is just starting now on the experiences of doubled up middle schoolers in Los Angeles. And we are not even beginning the research design until we have a live advisory board in place. And so this really is something that um, from the HUD funded projects through other funded projects, we're really sort of taking very seriously and to not start a research design right when you when you sort of go, I think is a really, really important change from sort of the ordinary way we've done business in the past, that being really thoughtful before we even start. Uh, Great. Uh, And I I was actually thinking of some of our environmental work, um, you know, out of New Mexico, working with tribes. Um, So it, it, you know, it's really exciting, because, you know, particularly through this podcast, we've talked about equity and a lot of the ways it manifests throughout apps work. It's been there all along. It's exciting that, um, you know, Tara, you've got this role uh, to help really focus it and systemize it and uh, make sure we're implementing it um, in this way that keeps growing. Uh, so, and Megan, it's great to see you doing it in real time. Uh, that's a big deal. Uh, <laughs> so it's exciting that the two of you are doing this along with our colleagues. I'm excited just to have the opportunity to share the great work that's being done with AHAR and just all of the great work that all of our app staff are doing. And I think most importantly, it'll be continuing to work in partnership with our communities and our funders to better lead with equity and truly center the voices of those most impacted in creating sustainable, accountable solutions. Well, thank you both for joining me. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. And thank you for joining us at The Intersect. (laughs) 